I am Pastor Neil Wemus, and this is a recording of the Key Row Film Society. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is, as I said, the Key Role Film Society. And if you could not tell from that opening sequence, today I am going to do kind of a shortish review or analysis of the movie Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So uh, the reason why I am doing this as a review was because I came across the review the other day where an individual who is um, had written his own review about the dangers of Harry Potter and how it leads to the occult, yada, yada, yada. So, because that thinking came out of the woodwork again, I thought it would be a good time to start going through the Harry Potter movies. So... Straight up, I will say that, yeah, I am a fan of all of the Harry Potter films. Um, I am a Lutheran pastor as well. And so the question is, is there a conflict? Is there a conflict between being a Luther, being a Christian and being in Harry Potter? And for that matter, is there a conflict between um, being a Christian and watching, say or being interested in Lord of the Rings, or Chronicles of Narnia, or any of a number of other fantastical stories that have wit have witches and wizards and etc., etc. And so, Harry Potter and the, the Harry Potter films, they have witchcraft, they have wizardry, but it's not it is very much of the fantastical nature it is it's not really enforcing um spell casting and things like that um it's there is kind i know there was a claim uh back when harry potter was you know first really popular there's those who are going around and saying that Harry Potter incites within people a desire to pursue the occult. And actually, based upon what we have in data, it shows that that hasn't been true. Um, there was no real uptick in, um, in terms of the Wiccan or, new, or the, uh, the pagan religions. They're all pretty much steady where they were back when Harry Potter came out. So if, hypothetically, if Harry Potter was really, really promoting what it was and given its enormous popularity, I mean, it's through seven movies. Um, and now the um, one that just came out a couple of years ago, the Fantastic Beasts and another one coming out this, this year, between all of that money, you figure there would be an explosion of popularity. But based upon the data, it is exactly the, it's, the percentage is exactly the same as it was when it started. It hasn't changed. And so 
And there's actually even been looked at that they've actually found any, there was increased um, publicity in regards to the um, witchcraft, those type of, the occult type or the Wiccan culture. There was an increase, but actually they found that that was actually more, wasn't so much because of Harry Potter as it was because of Christians claiming that Harry Potter was of the occult. Basically, in the the fundamentalists who were fighting and getting angry about the movie actually unintentionally were giving really good free publicity to the Wiccan, the Wiccan religions. And so actually the very thing they were afraid that Harry Potter was doing, they did in their complaining about Harry Potter. And so, but what we do actually have is we do have data. For, there's, there's a book that came out. It was called You Lost Me. It was produced by um, Barna Research Group. And I can't remember the exact author of it. But he went through this list. He came up with a ranking of the the top reasons why people drop out of the Christian church. So, um, teen, mainly young adults. So they looked at the data and they saw that uh, high that high school aged. So, uh, fourteen to eighteen was in a very close race with the 65 and older crowd for being the best attendance for church, the highest attendance in church. However, the 19 to 30 is the lowest attended church group that there is. So the question was, why is there a sudden massive drop from 18-year-old 18 years old to 19 years old in terms of church attendance. And so they were looking, they did, sur- they did a survey study to find what was the reasons why these people left. And so some of the reasons they came up with was like, um, the church is too shallow. In other words, they don't teach, they, you know, they go to youth groups and youth group is, you know, they don't teach anything. Um, they, the repressive sexuality so basically issues about homosexuality, premarital sex was a concern. But the number one reason was, or even, or anti-science, I think was another one, where Christianity was perceived to be against science. Uh, but the number one reason they listed was that the church was overprotective. In other words, what they did is they were going to church and they were hearing the pastors or the teachers or whatever. It's like, don't watch this movie. Don't read these books. Don't listen to this music, you know, etc. Telling you all the things you can't watch because it's dangerous. And so basically they're perceived as being overprotective. And so I bring that up because really the reaction that people have had to Harry Potter is been that overprotective nature. And by the way, if you're wondering, is there a huge dropout rate in terms of the church? Yes. The ch- there is. There was a study that they found. I can't remember if it was um, who did it. I think it might have been Pew Research. I think they're the ones that did it. But 
they found that by 2050, there will be three major religions in the United States, or three major categor categorical religions. The top religion will, will not be Christianity anymore by 2050, based upon current trends. By 2050, Christianity will be the second biggest religion in the United States. The biggest religion, and everybody's afraid of Islam, but Islam actually will not be the biggest religion. It will be the third biggest religion. The biggest categorical religion, which it actually isn't a religion, is the religiously unaffiliated. They are, by 2050, they will make up the biggest religious group affiliation or whatever you want to call it in our country which i know it's kind of ironic to call it a religion it's really not but that's going to be the biggest identifying group which means that i'm an atheist and that's not talking about atheists or agnostics they're listed under their own group agnosticism might just go up by a couple percentage points atheism based upon trends is going to stay the same as it has for the last several decades but the religious unaffiliated, the ones who are not, they're not atheists, they're not agnostic, they're not Christian, they're not Muslim, they just don't care. That's basically it. They're, it's, the, it's religious apathy, the religious apathetic. They are going to be the largest group in this country. So the dropout rate is a real concern. And when you see that overprotective nature is the number one reason. That means the way people were reacting to Harry Potter has done way more damage than Harry Potter on its own did. In fact, as far as we can see, Harry Potter did none. The damage was all done by people complaining about Harry Potter on top of a number of other things. All right? So, with that in mind, I'm going to look at the strengths of the movie, look at the movie itself. So Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, it was the first, it's the first movie in the franchise, and it was a movie, I think it came out in, so it, this, Harry Potter was Sorcerer's Stone, it was released in 2001, uh, directed by Chris Columbus, based upon the original book, which um, it's some, by the way, in other, only in the United States, I believe, was Sorcerer's Stone, and some other countries is known as the Philosopher's Stone. Um, but anyways, the movie was, and the movie made a lot of money, so the total box office total um, was $974.8 million worldwide which is, you know, very well off, especially for 2001. That was before we started seeing a lot of movies break the billion-dollar mark. So, very successful first movie. Um, the movie was 152 minutes, so pretty close to three hours. It was a lengthy movie. But the thing is, is the movie just absolutely embraced the magic. I mean, the, from the very beginning of the movie, it starts... With that wonderful John Williams theme, da, 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 da. you hear that music, and just right away it captures you, and you see the the flying, um, you know, motorcycle, and uh, you have Gandalf putting out the lights with the 
this little gadget thing, magical gadget. You see um, Professor McGonagall, um, you know, transforming from a cat into herself, normal self. I mean, right away, it just captures your imagination. But this is, it's just like a taste. And then you meet the kid, and it's very normal. It's very humdrum, normal life, and actually kind of a cruddy life. Because when he's, you know, he turns 11, he is dealing with, you know, his brother, his, well, not his brother, his cousin, and his uncle and aunt who raised him who just don't like him. They're the worst sort of muggles, which muggles are non-music-using folk. Um in the Harry Potter world. And so, you know, it starts out like that. And it's, they go to the zoo and the day is just not going well. He's that kid that just wishes he was somewhere else. Doesn't, you know, he longs for something. He doesn't quite belong. And what kid can't relate to that? Well, there's this kind of this magical moment that causes him to get a moment of revenge on his cousin but it doesn't last because as soon as he gets back home, they're being, they're bullying him. They're treating him awful again. And you start having all these letters coming to him, delivered to him by owls. The magic is starting to kind of tease itself, but it's not fully there. You know something strange is going on, which you know is leading to those wizards that you saw at the beginning. And I'm talking as if you've never seen this before, if you're wondering. So that's where I'm viewing the movie. I'm viewing the movie as if this is the first time you've seen it, as if you've never read the books or nothing. You're just going in, and that's the way it is. It's slowly building up that magic. And and then you meet um, you meet Hagrid eventually, and he introduces himself again. You get more taste of the magic, but it's still not fully there. And you hear about Hogwarts, and there's this place that's just filled with this magical world. And it's just slow. I mean, I love the way the movie just slowly builds and builds. Like, you get introduced to Diagon Alley, and, you know, you see more magic. You see, like, the... Um, the way the the secret the hidden wall that leads to Diagon Alley in, and I like that it's behind this dodgy bar that is anything but magical. But then they go into Diagon Alley and you see all these people. You realize there's a whole bunch of them, but still the magic isn't quite there. You get to see the goblins. Okay, you get these strange creatures, and I mean Hagrid being there is also kind of you know strange because he's so huge. And, I mean, you keep getting introduced to these things that just keep teasing it. Him testing out the wand. And then, you know, you get on the tra you get on the train and you get the candy. And again, you're getting all this until you get to Hogwarts. And they're, go they're coming in on those, canoe on those boats, rowing their way, to move making their way on the water. You see this towering castle on top of this hill. And they're making their way, and they go up, and there's this room with this magical ceiling, and all of a sudden the magic is just flowing forth. And the whole movie works like that. I mean, it just works the imagination. It fits so much into the enchantment of the mind. And some people wonder, like, well, what's the purpose of this type of uh, movies? Like, well, shouldn't we deal more with the real world? 
Well, I, I actually encourage you to read C.S. Lewis on this or G.K. Chesterton. Um, those are two very significant Christian thinkers of the 18th or the 19th and the 20th century who both discussed the value of it. And, you know, C.S. Lewis said things like, um, he would talk about how, you know, when you read about a, an enchanted forest, it makes every forest enchanted. It makes, when you read about these fantastical worlds, it makes your world fantastical. It makes your world incredible, your world exciting, your world interesting. And so, and you know, you teach, you have kids that only read about the realistic stories with no hint of magic. Um, they find themselves disappointed. And it actually lets them down. Whereas the fantastical world leads them to dream. It leads them to think of possibilities. It's kind of that quote. It's like, what is that quote? It goes, some people say, see things the way they are and ask why. And I see things that are not and I ask why not. I think it was, I can't remember who said that, but the, I love that quote. It's that, you know, you look at the things are not be why not. You know, you fantastical stories, they feed creativity. They encourage you to look to a better world, to look to better solutions. And so, I mean, Harry Potter fills into that. Um, I know even I've read that uh, even uh, Winston Churchill would, was fond of fantastical stories, and he would read them as ways to you know, expand his mind. And that's what it does. It creates creativity, it creates innovation. The very type of things that causes our culture to strive. It's that type of thing that, you know, I mean, I'm going to take, for example, so in Harry Potter, just to give an example of this, in Harry Potter, all the um, pictures are moving, all right? So they're like, the char the people in them are moving, they're doing things, right? Well, at that time... And that movie came out in 2001. You couldn't do that. But today, somebody somewhere probably saw this and said, is there a way we could do that ourselves? That we could make pictures that were in motion? Well, so what did they do? They went, somebody figured out how to do it with computers and create a picture frame where the photo is in motion. It's a video type um, photo. Or the, you know, kind of almost like a GIF, like or a GIF, or however you pronounce it, a GIF that you see on, that you see a lot of times on Facebook, where they just kind of have this short motion. That's actually pretty much the deal. That's what it is. It's so somebody looked at it. They came up with an idea. People see the things in the movies and they say, "Well, is there a way that we could make this a reality?" I mean, look at smartphones. Look at all the things you could do with a phone. You can, um, you know, of course you could make phone calls. And Which, by the way, just making a phone call is a fantastical thing. If you told someone 200 years ago that I could pick up a device and talk to somebody in Russia without going to them, just using this little itty-bitty chunk of plastic... They'd be like, that's nuts. That's some form of sorcery. But here we are. We have it. You have people. We could. But with that phone, you could take photos. You could take movies. And you could send those photos. You could send those movies across the world. 
You can, um, you could read just about any book you want to read. You could, you could do, you, you could read the Bible. You could listen to music. I mean, it's, I mean, on my phone, it could tech, check my, um, my oxygen level. It could, I have a device that could check my heart rate. It could tech, check my stress level, things like that. It's incredible what this little device can do. And it all starts with the creativity of one's mind and very likely because they watch things like science fiction or these fantasy movies. For many of them, they see these stories, these worlds, and they wonder, what could we do with what we do have in this world? They look at what we have and ask what could be. It fosters innovation. It fosters creativity. It fosters ideas for solutions to the world that we live in, to the problems of the world we live in. And given, I mean, our, especially when you look at our political climate, we need creativity. We need ideas. Then the then you have in the movie, then you have, then once you get, kind of get into the, the cool elements, and those work throughout all the films, there's, this fantastical element, but they kind of stop relying upon it. They start to pull back on it and focus much more on the character, which is what they need to do because the fantastical, it only works so much. I mean, like you, you could only do certain things so many times before it loses its sense of awe. So they kind of pull it back and they ease it and they only do it every now and then. And so the big focus is, of course, on the growing, maturing of um, Harry Potter. And so it asks the question, what kind of things does an 11-year-old deal with? Well, he has to de he has he makes friends. He makes friends with um Ronald. He meet he makes friends with um Hermione Granger. Um so he meets with them. He get he finds his bullies. He finds the uh you know, the Malf Draco Malfoy and uh the other um, kids, you have the you have to you deal with teachers. Some teachers who are really nice, some who are strict, some who seem they're always out to get you, and you have all these different types of people. You got the kindly, wise um headmaster and Gandalf. I mean, you have all these different things that and, and so they find themselves trying to feel with decision, decide with decisions. If they make bad choices. There are consequences. Points taken away from people. There were con when Ron, you know, says those really harsh things about about Hermione. There's consequences. It hurts harm, hurts Hermione's feelings, and so she goes and she's in the bathroom crying all day, and that causes the problem with this troll. And they do the go. They do the right thing to go rescue her, but. If they hadn't been so cruel in the way they were, it wouldn't have happened. You do, but you also do have Hermione, who is taking her acad academics are a good thing, but it, you see her growing where she realizes that she's that she takes it too seriously, that it's like it's everything to her. But you understand why, she comes from her parents are both Muggles, and so they're outsiders. In other words, they're not in the clique and so she she is desperate to fit in and so she needs to know everything she can in order to do that um but on the flip side you got ron who struggles with wealth he's not very well his family is 
poorer than some other families. A lot of his stuff is handed down to him. And, I mean, you got these characters. I mean, a lot of characters are like this. We see people like this. They, we struggle with decisions. We struggle with what to do, what is right and what is wrong. Um, and then you have to you deal with the fact that, you know, it says, you know, as um, Hagrid says to him, not all wizards are good. What you can hear that is not all people are good. Not all adults are good. So kids are, you know, taught, you know, they meet these nice adults who care for them, they teachers and all that, but they have to be reminded they're strangers. There's people that wish harm to them. Um, there is, but there's all, then you, ha- and so they, they face that. There is a such thing as evil, which that's, again, something we as a Christian we could talk about is that there evil is real. For we talk about the devil. The devil is real. There is a real hell. Um, sin is a real thing, uh, and so it it addresses the fact that there is evil, and it shows again all these char- all the characters in the show in the movie have flaws. None of them are perfect. All of them have their own weaknesses, their own failings. And even the ones who seem like they're kind of bad and mean, they too are not so straightforward as you begin to learn as the series progresses. You see more and more as you get to the last movie that there's something behind each of these people that leads them to be the type of person that they are. And so it's not always so straightforward. There is wickedness in every one of us there's failings in all of us and sometimes that circumstances lead a person to go deeper into that darkness deeper into that corruption and you see this throughout these stories um you have uh you have this fear to speak the name uh so you know they say so what's his name his name is volt volt Maybe you spell it that way. Well, I can't spell. Fine, Voldemort, and they're afraid to say Voldemort, and that's an ongoing theme in the shows. Like they call him whose name we shall not say, and Harry's the only one that's not afraid because he came from the outside world. He hasn't been accustomed to this fear. It's the same thing as in our culture. We're afraid to say things like sin. We are afraid to say things like the devil. We are afraid to say things like hell even though the Bible talks about it. We, we're afraid to talk about these things, even though it's directly talked about, and it's necessary to understand the depth of our sin, the depth of its consequences. When you are afraid to talk about an evil, especially a wicked person, and we even you even have this in some cultures where you have, like Germany, they you have cultures where they're afraid to talk about you know, Hitler, they're afraid to talk about Nazism. They're afraid to talk about the the evils in Imperial Japan during World War II. People will hide history because they're afraid of what happened. They're afraid to talk about it. Now, I understand that there is abuse, that there are people that could talk about fascism or Nazism and make bad, they'll just say somebody's a Nazi just for the heck of it to create, you know, to create a strong reaction. But... 
The problem is, it also has created a fear to talk about it, a desire not to talk about it at all, so that when it actually is there, when actual fascism, the actual symptoms, the actual marks of it is present, we can't talk about it because we're afraid. And so, again, very relevant to our culture, relevant to how we operate within the church. The mo- There's a scene in the movie where... Um, there's this very significant part where uh, Harry goes in, find, discovers this mirror. And when he looks in this mirror, he sees what he wants. And he's, and which is his parents. And he's absolutely glued to it. And he, want, he comes to it every night. And honestly, what, that's the ninth and tenth commandment, coveting. I mean, the core of the ninth and the tenth commandment is we're not happy. We're not happy with what we live with. Now, understandably, Harry pa- Harry is not happy by the fact that his parents are dead, and he longs to be with them because he's got all these friends who have wonderful parents, and they go spend time with them. But he doesn't. He has an aunt and uncle that are emotionally very and probably physically abusive to him. And so he longs for, you know, real parents, a real family. And so understandable, I mean, that's the unhappiness and the longing that a sinful world naturally creates. But the thing is, he's glued to it to, to such a point that he's losing track of what is reality. And this is what we call coveting. And yes, he is coveting what he doesn't have. And it's understandable why it, it's there, but it's nonetheless a form of coveting. And that's, and this is why, and Gandalf tells him, this mirror gives you neither insight nor wisdom. It doesn't give you anything. There's no real purpose to it. And so, and like I said, it's a very good view into the ninth and 10th commandment. Finally, there is, at the end of the movie, and by the way, if you haven't figured out, as I'm doing these movies, there's there's spoilers. I don't care if I spoil anything. This movie's been out for 17 years. You've had your chance. And same with any of the Harry Potter movies I review. All of them are out, have been on DVD, Blu-ray, digital for plenty of time for you to see it. So, but anyways, at the end of the movie... Um, Harry comes and sees Professor Quill before the mirror because the whole story is Professor Quill is trying to get the Sorcerer's Stone hence the name of the movie is called the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone and so he's trying to get it and which they don't think it's Professor Quill they think it's Professor Snape they think Professor Snape is the bad guy which again reinforces the thing is what, the way we perceive people is actually goes against prejudices because you look at Snape. He's dark-haired. He talks with that dark, there will be no wand waving here, no foolish cantations. You know, he does that creepy old um, Dracula-esque voice. And so, and not to mention, it's played by a guy who's notorious for playing a villain in movies. Um... Alan Rickman is, you know, he was uh, he was Hans Gruber in Die Hard. 
He was the you know sheriff Rotting and of Rottingham or Nottingham or whatever in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He's one of the great villain actors of all time, and so it works so perfectly that you think he's the villain. And I love it. The movie plays into your prejudices, and the guy that you think is harmless, Professor Quill, who is this stuttering Professor Quill. You think he's the harmless one, and he means no harm to you. Which, again, is showing how our prejudices proved to be false. The guy that you think is the villain is the guy that's actually trying to help you, who's trying to protect you. And this gets revealed more and more as you work through the Harry Potter movies um, and the stories. And so, whereas Professor Quill, it turns out, is not alone. He's never alone. He's actually sharing his body with Voldemort, the titular villain of the entire franchise. All right? And so they get into... he, Harry, you know, gets into a squabble or a combat with him, and you find that Professor Quill is not able to touch Harry. He keeps burning to ash, and, apparent, and it's because of this curse or this spell that... Reflected onto him, was put onto him when his mother died, and and there's this conversation between Gandalf towards the end of the movie, and Gandalf says to ask Harry, he says, "Do you know why Professor Quill could not bear to touch you? It's because of your mother. It's because she cast a spell on you, and this spell." Leaves is, has a special kind of mark. No, it's not one that you see on your skin. It's a mark that is deep inside. It's love, Harry. Love. See, out of love, his mother sacrificed herself that he may live. Is that not familiar, Christians? Who out of who showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, died for us? Christ showed his. That's this is love, not and this is love that he laid his life down for us. See that is I mean what that little bit is a reflection of what Christ has done for you and does for us. So the movie of Harry Potter actually has such universal messages, but even within it you could find Christological themes. And and I think some of it is intentional. And it's gonna actually come out much, much more when we get when I get to the when I review the last movie, but there is definitely a Christological theme working its way throughout it, and it makes sense because J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter, is a Christian. Now, she may be a bit more liberal leaning, but she is a Christian nonetheless, and. The ending of the movie, and the very fact is Harry Potter is known as the one. He's the chosen one. 
supposedly. The one who is chosen to defeat Voldemort, who is the chief evil, the chief villain of the franchise. Again, I mean, it's a bit Star Wars-esque, Star Wars-y, but it is still, but it's also very closely into Christianity, into what we believe, that there was one who was chosen, who was anointed for the purpose of defeating sin, death, and the devil. So, you'll find that Harry Potter's not quite as objectionable as people have. And one of the things you'll notice is the themes of the movie are not extremely mature. And the reason is, is because Harry Potter is 11 years old. And one of the neat things that comes with the Harry Potter franchise is that the franchise matures with the characters. So the the first two movies are a lot more child-esque, all right? And I think it almost works, I almost, it's kind of an unintentional thing that happened, was they had, the Harry Potter franchise had to switch up the Gandalf actors, uh, because the original actor for Gandalf, which was, did I just say Gandalf? Dum- uh, Dumbledore. If I've been saying Gandalf the whole time, I have completely apologize at this moment. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan too, so, <laughs> and I was not, yeah, Dumbledore. I just realized I've been saying that possibly the entire time. Apologies. Um, when Dumbledore saved Captain Kirk, just kidding. Uh, when Dumbledore pl- was played by Richard Harris in the original mo- in the first two movies, and Richard Harris was an older actor, and he's kind of this kindly old actor, this almost grandfather-like qualities, and it worked. It worked really well. Because of the nature of the film. Well, when you get to the third movie, The Prisoner of Azkaban, the tone suddenly starts getting darker and more mature. And it progressively gets to be so as the movies progress. And that is when you got Michael Gambone to be the the actor of Dumbledore. And when that happened, it was the perfect timing because he was a more mature... He was an actor that better fit the tone of the film franchise. Now, the unfortunate thing was Richard Harris left as the role of Dumbledore because he had died. So it's not the way you'd want to have a switch in an actor. But it was one of those that worked out really well. So, I mean, Harry Potter is a good film franchise. And, I mean, not every movie is great. I'm not a huge fan of Chamber of Secrets, which is going to be the next one I'm going to be, which will be the next one I review. But um, they're all generally good movies, entertaining. And I'm going to try to reinforce throughout these that there is good messages. There are good things to be taken from it. So it's there I leave you. I hope this was a joy for you. And I hope that you did not get too horribly bugged by the fact they kept on calling Dumbledore Gandalf. So, uh, <laughs> if you did and you checked out, you're not listening to this. If you didn't check out, thanks for sticking with my my gaffe. I don't really want to go back and re-record all of this. So, uh, with that, I leave you. This was a recording of the Key Row Film Society. 
I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am a pastor of St. Paul Luther Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. Uh, and I should end, as I end, I should note that if I were to give a review of this movie or a grade, a star, a five star scale, I'd probably say three and a half stars. So not a perfect movie. It's a good one, but not perfect. Um, the other ones you're going to hear, notice I give higher and higher stars, um, better reviews. But a lot of good, it's a good movie. Um, stay tuned and I will tr try to do the other Harry Potter movies as time passes. So God's blessings to you.